It's not difficult for me to give a talk. It's very difficult to say something worthwhile, something that will be helpful for people in their lives. And I try real hard to talk about practical things in a lot of ways, because I think in this world that we're living in now, it's the simple things that we need to hang on to, family prayer, blessing on the food, being kind to each other, uh, strengthening family relationships. If anybody's lost that, they ought to do everything they can to put it back because it's a very, very important part of family life. I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Cult is a general authority for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1976 and sustained to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles nine years later in 1985. President M. Russell Ballard has participated in church leadership for the past 46 years. As church members prepared for the 192nd Annual General Conference on April 2nd and 3rd, President Ballard, now acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, joins this episode of the Church News Podcast to share memories and insight and direction. Originating from the Conference Center in Salt Lake City, this weekend's proceedings will be broadcast in 98 languages. President Ballard, thank you for taking a few minutes to talk with us and teach us as we all prepare for General Conference. You were called as a general authority in 1976. Yeah. Tell us what you remember of that conference. I remember as we were coming to priesthood meeting, the first priesthood meeting as a general authority there Four of us had just been called to the 70, and President uh, Romney was not feeling well. And I heard President Kimball say to President Tanner, we'll call on all four of them tonight, which I then assumed he was talking about the four new ones. So the first conference talk that I ever gave, no notes, no preparation, <laughs> just called on, and uh, I was told I had four minutes or something like that. And uh, Paul Dunn, who had such a wonderful sense of humor, and a very dear friend, he had overheard that the four of us were going to get called on. And he called me over and he said, Russ, I want to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, well, when you get up to the pulpit, there's a little man that stands on the side and puts cotton balls in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what he was saying is your mouth, you're going to get, voice get so dry, you're going to wonder how you're going to even say any words. You have to understand, Paul had such great wits and funny man. Anyway... When you think about the first conference I ever attended, I, where I attended personally, 
I think was when I was maybe around 10 or 12, and we couldn't find uh, any place to sit. And somehow we ended up on the, there's, the, the rostrum was like this, and on each side there were some stairs. And my friend and I ended up sitting on those stairs. So we were looking at the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, very close, and they didn't shoo us off. They let us sit there because there weren't a, the place was jammed. How we ended up there, I have no recollection except that we'd come to conference and uh, kind of wandering, uh, I guess, uh, not paying attention, but it was a pretty good seat. So I've had a lot of times I've come to conference. <laughs> well, and, and I want to talk about your childhood. You're the grandson of another apostle, and you didn't attend conference much as a child. Well, my uh, parents were not active in the church during my being raised, and I did not understand, to be candid, what it meant for my grandfather, Melvin J. Ballard, to be an apostle. He never really talked to me or, and told me what that meant. All I knew was he was beloved and that he would speak and everybody would want to listen to him because he was a great speaker. And uh, he was a grandpa. Now, I think I was 11, approaching 12, when he passed away. So my memories of him as a church leader would have been uh, not what they should have been because, like I say, at that time in my life, my parents weren't active in the church. And I wasn't going to—I didn't go to conference. And sadly, I never heard him speak personally in the tabernacle. I would give anything— be able to have heard him preach. I have some tapes, early tapes of his preaching, but um, I missed really understanding that. And I'm going to have a visit with him when I get on the other side, uh, which won't be long now. <laughs> uh, and uh, he should have told me who he was. Uh, I don't ever remember him in any role other than a grandfather that loved his grandchildren. He took my cousin, uh, Barbara, and I to the circus. And he, I remember he bought a bag of peanuts, and he would break them in half, and he'd give me one of the half, and he'd give Barbara the other half, and then he'd eat a full one. Uh, you know, that's when the peanuts were that way. When I was eight, he took me to the Rialdo Theater. It doesn't exist now. And I don't remember the movie, but it would have been a Walt Disney of some kind. And I remember the lights went off and the movie came on. And I was excited and sitting next to my grandfather. And he went fast asleep. I mean, he really went out. And I'm watching Mickey Mouse and whatever. I don't remember what 
what the show was, but when it was over, I had to wake him up and tell him that the movie was over, and uh, I think it was my eighth birthday, and uh, he took me by the hand, and out of the theater we went. It's interesting what you what you remember. That, that was a memory he made for me that stuck, the, taking me to the circus, taking me to the movie, to the Rialto Theater on my birthday. We had family time with him. But he didn't do what I'm going to talk to him about, which would have been the most important thing he could have done, and that would be to tell me what it meant to be an apostle. That never really connected with me. And uh, I think I was, I would have been 12 in about two months. He died in July, and I might, I think I would have turned 12 in uh, October. And uh, just think what he could have told me. And maybe he didn't think I was smart enough, or maybe he didn't think I'd pay attention enough that he didn't <laughs> sit me down. And So I've tried really hard with my grandchildren to uh, talk to them from time to time and let them know what my assignments are and what my testimony is and what uh, my responsibilities are. So when you have memories of conference, uh, I believe the first time I remember in conference would have been, like I say, when I was about 12 and we ended up on those stairs and it was me and my friend in the tabernacle. It wasn't a family matter because my uh, folks were not active in the church in those days. And you had no inkling as you looked up at those brethren that that could be you someday. Oh, no, no. In fact, I, I've given in, a, I think, one of a conference talk of, that I did say to my friend, being nice to sit in a nice red chair like that that looks really comfortable because we were we were someplace where we weren't supposed to be but i ended up in one of those red chairs and it's not all that comfortable <laughs> it's comfortable after you've given your talk but while you're waiting for your turn to give a talk it's not totally comfortable so is it true what Elder Dunn says, that when you step up to the pulpit, it it's a little different? Mm. You, you kind of get a dry mouth. Well, not so bad that a little man with cotton balls stands there, but it uh, it's not difficult for me to give a talk. It's very difficult to say something worthwhile, something that will be helpful for people in their lives. And I try real hard to talk about practical things in a lot of ways. Because I think in this world that we're living in now, it's the simple things that we need to hang on to. You know, family prayer, blessing on the food, being kind to each other, 
strengthening family relationships. Those are the things that are today we don't know if if anybody's lost that they ought to do everything they can to put it back because it's a very very important part of family life in my judgment and and it comes from parents leading it the parents have to lead it out the children what's the process you go through when you try and and write a conference talk after i've given my talk and the rest of the conference goes on i'm listening carefully and trying to determine if there's something that is being said that that would be the keynote that i could build a talk around uh, in 6 months i try to think through what the the current needs the realities of what people are facing and try to say something that would be helpful to them, all focused on the anchor that everyone needs in their lives, regardless of what's happening. And and that anchor is to stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ. If people will love him and keep him foremost in their hearts and in their lives, whatever difficulties we may face, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a tragedy in one kind or another, or an illness, or a disappointment in a marriage or children or whatever, if we're anchored properly with our love and and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he really is our Savior, and he really is in our hearts the Redeemer, and that he really can be our best friend as he himself has declared he wants to be, then I would say that's one of the most important things people can have in their lives, is to never be so busy or so preoccupied and other things that they don't have time to ponder on their relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, I want to turn to October 6, 1985. You've been a general authority for nine years, and on that day, you're sustained to the apostleship. Mm -hmm. What was that day like? Well, it was an interesting day because uh, it was Sunday morning at nine, about 7.30 in the morning, President Hinckley called me and asked me if I was out of the shower yet. <laughs> he had such a great sense of humor. I said, oh boy, President, I'll say it. we're coming to conference. And he said, well, would you come by and see me at nine o'clock in my office in the administration building? And I said, well, I'd be very happy to. Of course, I was a, I was a 70. And uh, so at the appointed hour, not, and he said, bring Barbara with you. So Barbara and I arrived uh, at 9 o'clock in, he, uh, in this administration building here on South Temple. And he invited me into his office. He had Barbara remain in the waiting area there for a few minutes. 
And he said, uh, I've just left President Kimball, and President Kimball has authorized me to extend a call to you to serve as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Then he wept, I wept, he embraced me, and it was one of those very tender moments. And then he invited Barbara in and explained what would happen. And, of course, she cried, and I cried. We had a good cry, anyway, and went to conference and came home that night as as a sustained apostle. I hadn't been yet ordained. That was done later uh, when the Quorum of the Twelve were all together. When I was ordained, the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve all had their hands on my head. I'm glad you talked about uh, Sister Ballard. When I think about conference talks you've given, I think of Sister Ballard. She died before General Conference a few years ago, and then you spoke about the fact that you knew you'd be together with her again. Mm. Can you talk about the support she was to you all those years, and then, and then how hard that must have been to give that talk? Well, uh, I married way over my head when I married Barbara Bowen. And uh, she is the mother of seven children. And if I were to have our seven come in and say, did you ever hear your mother raise her voice? They would say, no. Did you ever hear your mother being angry in any way with you or with anyone else? And they would say, no. I wouldn't ask them the same question about their father. but (laughs) (laughs) So when I married Barbara, that was one of the great blessings that Heavenly Father made possible for me because she was so totally and completely supportive. I cannot ever remember her complaining that I had to go off on this mission or that I would be gone for 10 days to Africa or that I've missed this family activity to to fill assignment. All I can say about my beloved wife, Barbara, was she sustained and supported me in every way in my calling as a member of the uh, general authorities for almost nine years as a 70 and then the balance of my life as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. So I really ended up, I think, in this responsibility because I married way over my head and had such a wonderful companion uh, and my dear Barbara. Now, this year you have been a general authority for 46 years. That's a lot of general conferences. Mm. You've certainly seen the growth of the church in that time. Those early conferences would have been a little smaller than they are today. Oh, yes. Those conferences were held in the tabernacle, and uh, 
and there would be some sessions where the tabernacle wasn't totally, totally filled. I'm the longest, I think, living, serving general authority. There's others that have served longer. I think President McKay served for, what, 60 years or something like that? But uh, I count every day that I have the opportunity to get up in the morning and and uh, contemplate that I have the blessing of trying to serve the Lord in some way, I'll try to do a little good one way or another. I try to do that. I'm not sure that I'm very good at it, but I try to never lose sight of how precious every one of our Heavenly Father's children is. And I try to keep my consciousness of that because I think one of the key roles of a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is to try to encourage and lift and help those who are trying to get through this mortal experience and sometimes they just need a little encouragement and I try to do my part that way. Now you would have seen the church build the conference center and then been part of the solemn assembly when we were all in the conference center and the first general mm-hmm. conference was held there. That's a little bigger than the tabernacle. What was <laughs> what was that like to stand at the pulpit there for the first time? Well, uh, standing at a pulpit at a general conference in any building is an awesome responsibility, and I do it with great anxiety and anxiousness. (laughs) Not that I'm anxious about whether or not I can say what I have prepared, but anxious that what I have prepared to say will help somebody. And will be of some value and 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 uh, of some worth to the membership of the church or a member of the church somewhere in the world who would need to hear what uh, I had tried to prepare. I think my first talk was about four minutes, and it was with no preparation because I told you when President Romney was not able to speak in general priesthood meetings, so the four new 70s were the ones that were called upon to bear our testimonies in the tabernacle. I have no idea what I said. I, uh, I'll have to go back, but I think it was okay. But nobody got after me, and so I guess I did all right. But I've given almost 100 general conference talks. I think that's right. Oh, but I'm getting old. I'm 93. So I started out in this, I think I was 45. I was awful young compared to what I am now. (laughs) In the four and a half decades you've served, you've also seen quite a few prophets be sustained by the membership Mm -hmm. in solemn assemblies, Mm -hmm. starting with President Kimball and then, you know, (laughs) uh, going to President Benson and and yes. President Hunter and President Hinckley and and uh, President, Monson. President Monson and now 
and now yeah. President Nelson. Yes. Those have to be sacred, sacred moments for you. Well, the brotherhood of the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is a um, very special relationship and often a very sacred setting where we share and teach and listen to uh, one another in such a way that uh, impacts ultimately the entire church, always with the thought in the back of our minds that this is a worldwide church. And so when we're talking about, wouldn't it be nice to do this or wouldn't it be nice to do that, we're always thinking, well, will this work in Asia? Will this work in Europe? Will this work in South America? Will this work in Alaska? And so it's a, uh, it's a very, very wise thing our Heavenly Father established through the Lord Jesus Christ when he established 12 apostles to direct the affairs of the church. And of course, the three presiding high priests, which are also apostles, which make up the first presidency. I've been there all these years, and I can tell you that the church will always be secure and safe as long as you have 15 apostles who are able to assemble and review and discuss those things that will bless the lives of the members of the church worldwide the best way. And the Lord is very close to uh, the Council of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve. When I think about you giving your first conference talk, all four minutes of it, <laughs> uh, they probably received that outside the United States several months later in printed form, if they got it at all. The conference talk you'll give this week is going to reach all corners of the earth. People in Africa or Asia or Europe could be watching in their own language right from their phone. That has to be a pretty broad idea when you think, I'm going to stand here and people so many places in the world will get this mm. message instantaneously. Well, now you make me want to go back and look at my conference talk and see if it's any good. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> it is a very important to me. I don't speak for the rest of the 12. I speak for myself that I try to to be sure that I'm speaking to the membership of the church and not to any group. I want to talk to the garden variety members of the church, wherever they are, so that they understand the beauties and the power of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the prophet Joseph Smith. I never weary of talking about Joseph and talking about 
the Lord preparing him and preparing his family and making it possible for him to go to the sacred grove and, and for the courage of that young man to be able to kneel down and pour his heart out to his heavenly father, wanting to really to be sure his sins were forgiven him. And that glorious spring of 1820, when the heavens opened and the Father and the Son appeared and spoke to him, Joseph, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. People need to resolve in their hearts either is true that experience that Joseph had or it's not. And my witness, I know without reservation or question that it is true. I've been in the sacred grove several times. I've had confirmation and spiritual warmth and reassurance that uh, the experience Joseph had there was the opening up of the dispensation of the fullness of times, that the fullness of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ would come back to the earth one more time to bring about the eternal salvation of our Heavenly Father's children. And what a wonderful blessing I've had to be part of the leadership, the church at a general level. I was blessed to have wonderful leadership assignments ward and mission levels, but to be blessed to have general leadership responsibilities taken me all over the world. There's not much of this old earth I haven't been to in 46 years, and uh, born testimony and witness of the reality of the restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph. And as a direct descendant of Hiram Smith, You've had the opportunity to carry on the work that Joseph started. My mother's father was Hiram Max Smith, who was the oldest son of Joseph F. Smith, who was the youngest son of Hiram Smith, who was the brother of the prophet Joseph Smith. So through my mother, I have claim to Hiram, the brother of the prophet Joseph Smith. And I have given talks over the years that uh, the Lord not only raised up Joseph, but he raised up Hiram to be Joseph's companion and older brother. He was five years, almost six years older than Joseph. And yet, uh, talk about an example of an older brother being willing to sustain and support a younger brother. You don't find a better example uh, that I know of anywhere in the history of the world. Hiram Smith was chosen of the Lord to be a shepherd, I think, to the prophet Joseph. I think Joseph was able to do, in a lot of ways, what he did in restoring the fullness of the gospel and being the prophet of this, the dispensation of the fullness of times, this last dispensation, because he had an older brother 
that was with him and loved him and sustained him. It's interesting when you read carefully when they were together on occasions, Joseph would turn to Hiram and say, Hiram, you're the oldest, what should we do? A good example of that was when the mobs were trying to kill Joseph, and he knew that that was their objective. And they'd crossed the river, and he and Hiram were there on the other side of the river, and the word came, well, the people think you're running away. And Joseph, this is not exact words, turned to Hiram. He said, Hiram, you're the oldest. What should we do? He said, let us go back and face what we need to face. And along the way, Hiram Smith said to his little brother, Joseph, Joseph, I will not leave you. And to Carthage they went and were both martyred there, Hiram holding the door, trying to preserve and save the others, was murdered in Carthage jail. And uh, so those two great prophets were taken at the same time. When you talk about the sustaining and the support that Hiram gave Joseph, and then we look at the church today, how can church members sustain current church leaders? We get to do that every conference, but how do we do that every day of our lives? By saying your prayers, being nice to each other, fulfilling the callings that come to you through those who have responsibility in your ward, in your stake, to children being kind to your parents and loving your listening to your parents, uh, all with the preparation of being able to serve the Lord, however the Lord would want you to serve. That's one of the great quests. That's why uh, young men need very early to prepare that they're going to serve as a full-time missionary. And that's why young women who want to and have the desire to serve also, they don't have quite the same requirement of the Lord as do the young men. To serve the Lord as a full-time missionary, that's, you know, that's, that takes a lot of faith. You think about it, you, you submit your application to serve a mission, and it comes to a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, and, and you have no idea where you might be assigned. You can go to Asia, you can go to any of the continents, you can go to the countries that you don't even know where they are. I love the example of my grandson. He got his mission call, and he was going to school up in Portland, so I had it with me, and I called him on the phone. I said, I have your mission call. Do you want me to send it to you? Do you want me to read it to you? Oh, the grandpa, read it to me. And so I told him he was read it, that he'd been called to uh, 
Lithuania. Oh, he got so excited on the, couldn't hardly stand it. And then he went silent. He's in Portland on the phone. Grandpa, where's Lithuania? (laughs) He had no more idea where it was, but he was excited. He wanted to go and he was to go there and learn Russian when he did. So it's a miracle. What other organization on the face of the earth do their young people at the very prime of their schooling career step up and are willing to accept calls and and uh, willing to go wherever uh, they're assigned and to learn a language that they've maybe never even heard of. Uh, one of the great evidences the church is true is the miracle of the youth of this church who are willing to serve full-time missions. You mentioned preparation for mission, preparation for callings, preparation for church service. What should we be doing to prepare for general conference? Well, I would hope you can get all your fussing done so that you could have a little quiet time for the two days and be able to listen to what uh, will be presented. I don't think the membership of the church have any idea how much uh, prayer and effort goes in to the preparation of a general conference talk by general authority. And it's not that we're interested about being eloquent, but we are desperately interested in being able to tell and say to the church membership what the Lord uh, would like to have them hear at this day and time in which we're living. It's his church, and it has to be his voice that is being sent out to the world through the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, the best way we know how to do it. Is there a moment that stands out in your memory of conference? When you think of general conference, do you think, wow, that was the epitome of what conference means to me? I think sitting in the congregation and having my name read as a member of the first quorum of the 70, and I was in the congregation sitting next to my wife in the tabernacle, and then standing up and then being invited to come up and take my seat in one of those red chairs, four of us were named at the same time. I wouldn't forget that. (laughs) Oh, there are so many things that I would not forget because general conference is just filled with enlightenment and uh, the beautiful music of the choirs that sing. I mean, to me, during general conferences, probably as close to heaven as you get without going there personally, because the Spirit of the Lord is there. And it's uplifting, and it's uh, educational, and it's it's filled with love. And uh, 
It's a wonderful time. When you were first called, there was only a few dozen temples in the whole world. And now conference is a time that President Nelson has taken as an opportunity to announce more temples. Well, he got he he learned that from President uh, Hinckley. <laughs> President Hinckley uh, was the one that started expanding the temple footprint around the world, and President Monson, and then now President Nelson, and those are, are talked about and prayed about, and those temples are being put closer to the people so they can get their eternal blessings that can only be performed in the house of the Lord that will be efficacious both in this world and in the world uh, yet to come. And so the very fact that we are placing temples as quickly as we can, as close as we can to the membership of the church, so they have access to it for their own endowment and their own blessings, but also to be able to take care of their kindred dead whom they love. Well, I have a favorite question when I do interviews. It's, what do you know now? But President Ballard, what do you know now after participating and speaking in so many general conferences? Well, uh, I know a lot more. <laughs> I know that the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that the Seventy are the Seventy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that the general officers of the auxiliaries, the wonderful women who are called to take care of the primary, the children's organizations and the Relief Society and the young women, that those calls are heaven sent. They come through revelation and through the prayer and the contemplation of the brethren and the great work and personal preparation of those who receive the call. And so I don't believe anybody is called to general level responsibilities that the Lord hasn't had an eye on them for a long time. <laughs> there are those who say that we're ordained, some have been ordained to some of these colonies before we were ever born. I don't know about that. I think that could well be. I think, without question, I think we made some pretty strong commitments to our Heavenly Father that we let us come here and we'll, we'll behave. And uh, it's a grand design to have the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with a prophet, and the heavens opened where God and Christ have been able to reveal the fullness of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ is a remarkable, remarkable thing. 
we know who we are. We know we're the spirit sons and daughters of God. We know that we lived with him before we came here. We know what our real purpose is here. And we know what our destiny is when we leave here. It's not a great puzzle to a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a very clear path that the Lord has given us because we gotta, we all have to get this physical body to be able to do what will be required on into the eternities. So we have to have this mortal experience. And we see that. We see pre-mortality, our spirit world of life before we were born. We understand that our spirit is part of our being. We understand when we die, our body will be put to rest for a season, but our spirit goes on, never dies. And there will be the great and glorious day of the resurrection when body and spirit will be together, never to be separated again, all made possible because of the atoning sacrifice and the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and the Redeemer of all mankind. Our Heavenly Father's firstborn spirit, Son, and His only begotten Son, and our precious Savior, in whose name we do this work. And this is His church. It is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Restored in the latter days, that's why it's the latter-day saints, not the early-day saints, <laughs> that is directed under the affairs, under the guidance and the, uh, and, the, and the blessing of the Lord himself. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.